what's up folks so it is <clears throat> excuse me as i start out real raspy tonight it is episode 45 and tonight we have our special guest as i bring up here on the screen right here he's on the campaign trail tonight we do appreciate senor carlos vega for coming on with us he is running for the democratic candidate for philadelphia district attorney He's trying to do so much for the city, and we know that we need a lot of help in Philadelphia. I think he is the right candidate, and we hope by the time this interview is over, you can get a better perspective of Mr. Vega and what he's trying to do for the city. So I'm not going to waste a lot of time with the introduction here. I want to bring on first, uh, first, of course, our sports contributor, Mike Sherman. Mike, how are you this evening? I'm doing fantastic. It's a night of the NFL draft, but we have bigger business to discuss right here at 8.01 p.m. Let's get to it. Yes, sir. And uh, not to make him wait too long here is also Mr. Carlos Vega. Senor Vega, how are you this evening? Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm in my car because I just left an event. And after I'm done with you, I have to go to another event. So I apologize that I look a little strange with the lighting or whatever. <laughs> but I'm in my car. This It happens. We understand it. And we appreciate you coming on. And, and just to let everybody know here, if I remember where it was, here's the one I want to bring up here on the screen. The reason why this night is happening is because I saw this back in early April. I believe it was around April 2nd when you did an interview with CBS Philly. And the caption was you were disappointed after a long discussion with them that they only aired about two sentences of your interview that evening. And I reached out to your campaign manager and you guys were cordial enough to get back to me. And so here we are tonight on April 29th. And yes, as Mike said, draft night. But uh, did the and I know there was a tweet also that stated that they wanted people to push for the interview to go on. Did the interview ever make its way back to the airways in its entirety? No, it did not. Uh, they, they said they held firm that uh, in their minds, they gave equal time, which they did not. But uh, I can't control the stations. And, you know, I feel that it was unfair. We express our, our uh, discontent with it. But, you know, you have to get over it and just move forward. And, you know, as a result of that, I get to meet you guys. So I guess it worked out. It sure did. And we do appreciate it. We know it, it, the campaigns are never easy. Don't get me wrong. I know you guys work really hard between everyone on your staff, just trying to get you the push that you need to get in there on May 18th. And everyone who's viewing the show tonight, by all means, please vote for Carlos Vega May 18th for District Attorney for Philadelphia. They need – well. First of all, the city needs safer streets, and I believe that Mr. Vega can do it. And not only that, this is as we talked about before we went on air here, that this is where Republicans and Democrats can work together. Now, I myself, as I shared with you, am a Republican, but even if you're a Republican, Democrat, independent, you can be on the green ticket. My thing is, in my view, at least, and Sherman can probably share this with me as well, is that you can work with anyone as long as anyone's able to work with you. So for me, even if I was back home in Philadelphia right now, I would still vote you in, even though you're Democratic, because for me, I want the change that needs to be held in Philadelphia. So again, everyone, please go out on May 18th and vote for Carlos Vega for District Attorney for Philadelphia. So again, I appreciate the time that you're coming on with us. And I want to bring up here the first question. Uh, more is it, uh, what was your upbringing like? And did it have any influence on your decision on becoming a lawyer? Uh, it did. I grew up in the, you know, in the 70s, my family came from Puerto Rico and my mother opened a grocery store in, in New York in the West Side. Uh, during that time in the early 70s, it was the height of the heroin epidemic. So my, my mother's stores, you know, we were burglarized. We were robbed at gunpoint, at knife point. So I always worried about her safety. 
But by the same token, I grew up with a lot of guys I went to school with or played baseball with that ended up becoming addicted to drugs. A lot of them ended up dying of drug overdoses. A lot of them ended up in jail because they were doing robberies, purse snatches, burglaries. So, and I knew they were smart. They were just like me, except they didn't have the opportunity that my mother worked hard to put us to Catholic school, which was safer than the public schools. I mean, I had one friend that was stabbed when he was in the seventh grade. And uh, so, you know, I went to a school that was safe, uh, proper education there. But these guys were talented. I know they were smart. You know, they had the whole world in front of them. But, you know, there's there's injustice. There's unfairness. Poor schools. And, and they turned another way. So being seeing that, I always wanted to be a prosecutor, not just a lawyer, but as a prosecutor, because I always felt that I wanted to be the voice for those victims of crime, like my mother, that looked like them, talked like them, knew what it was like to be afraid. But also, as a DA, I could uh, dispense some compassion and fairness to people that they've committed crime, but they're not bad people. It was their circumstances that made them do certain things. You know, when you're drug addicted, you're stealing. Some ladies become prostitutes to feed that addiction. Right. And I don't believe in throwing them away. You have to have that helping hand. So my upbringing definitely made me want to be a prosecutor. It made me want to stay there that I'm a single dad. I raised two of my children. I have three. But when I was raising the two that I had, I wanted them to have the same education and religious background that I had. So rather than leave the office and turn my back, as I call my mother's, I worked 15 years at UPS at night to pay that tuition for my kids to go to a school that they were safe, got good education and religious upbringing. So I, I've always had that commitment. And I served 35 years of, of my life serving the community. I came in a young boy and left much older. But I'll tell you what, as uh, another DA who passed away said, we do God's work. It's not every job that you could say, I try to do the right thing every day. No, listen, that is absolute truth. And it's, and you know, you're, you're coming from two cities here that are, are pretty rough in nature. You got New York, where you say you were born and raised, and then you moved to Philly, and they're almost like an expansion of each other. It, it, you can call, I guess, Philly the suburbs of New York and New York the suburbs of Philly because it's two tough cities, but there's a lot of good within the cities. And it's just, it's the people that we put in certain places that we hope they will make the change. But sometimes, of course, there's more smoke in front of that mirror than the people actually promise. So again, it, it's good to hear as far as your history um, and from your background and the stories you share with us. So I, I want to hear just a little bit about, I guess, your history as an assistant district attorney and the reasons why you want to go, obviously, from your assistant years to now the district attorney of Philadelphia. Well, you know, going forward, uh, I've been painted as some right wing person or Trump's person or whatever. I believe in safety and reform. As to my history as a DA, I started in 1982 and then DA, who became eventually the Governor Rendell, he recruited me from law school. I went to Boston College Law School, and uh, I wanted to work in New York because my family's there, and I got accepted to a couple of uh, DA's offices there, but Rendell said, you're going to go far in the city, because although it's a major city, it's like a small town. Uh, yeah. So I came, and I, I'll, I'll credit my training in the DA's office that made me an excellent lawyer. Uh, in the DA's office, I had to break a lot of barriers because I was one of the few Latinos there. In fact, when I went to uh, my first year, when I came to the office, five people failed the bar exam. Everybody thought I failed because I'm Puerto Rican. 
I passed the bar. As I would say, I used to be smart. So uh, I did pass. Uh, I was in every unit in the office that I was promoted because I, I worked hard, worked long hours, learned my craft. When I was put in the office, I started doing between 50 to 80 cases a day, five days a week, no office days. Uh, and uh, it took me five years to get into the homicide unit. Before I got into homicide, I had done almost 50 jury trials, which were robberies, burglaries, arsons, forgeries. I did every kind of case. And uh, there's a grooming process because not everybody gets into homicide. It's an elite unit. And uh, I remember that they recruited me to come to homicide, which was always my dream. And I was the first Latino to enter the homicide unit. And I stayed there 30 years trying murder cases. I tried some of the biggest cases in, in the city. I did the murder of two police officers. I did the Black Madam case where she injected uh, silicone in women's uh, yep. buttocks. They died. Uh, you know, I did the Kensington Strangler, who was a serial killer who would uh, rape the, the, the prostitute, strangle them, and, and pose their bodies. Uh, so I did a lot of those cases, all while working at UPS at night. So uh, it, it was an interesting journey. Uh, it, it was fulfilling, stressful. Uh, and in the midst of doing that, you're raising a family and working two jobs. But I never regret a day of being there. I was able to give people uh, a chances you know, that there were, you know, there's murder, but you can give certain non-trial dispositions for some cases that are a manslaughter or a third degree murder, which is getting into the weeds. But I've given people a chance because I remember one time it was the day before Christmas Eve. This this young man goes, are you Carlos Vega? I go, yeah, he goes, I want to thank you. I was charged with murder. You gave me a break. I did my time and I got a family and I'm a barber now. I have a business. So there are people that even now call me that I gave him a chance. There are consequences. And I remember one Italian guy from South Philly, he donated to my campaign. And he says, the best thing that ever happened to me was you sending me to jail because I got matured and realized I had to change my life. So it's it's been an interesting career. I wish I had kept a diary because the things I've seen and heard are amazing. And one story that is very humbling is this. Uh, when I had murder cases, I always give my families a, a little job to do because they're just sitting there watching. So I would tell them, you know, bring me coffee or bring me Oreos and milk. I remember a few years ago, this man comes up to me and says, can I, my mother passed away, but she wanted me to give you something. And he brought me a, a, a box of Oreos. And it turned out in 87, when I did my first murder case, I remember the mother complained that I was too young and I did the case. Uh, it was a hung jury. Then I did it again. We got a conviction. And years later, when the guy got a new trial, I did it again. And she always bought me Oreos and milk. And to think that on her deathbed, she was thinking of me, that I was a part of her life and bringing justice on the death of her son. So it's, you know, what I say, it's God's work. Not every day you get to do the right thing every day. No, it's true. Listen, and it sounds very gratifying because we know everybody goes through life struggles. We, we're, life is about choices. And I talk about it all the time. When you wake up in the morning, you make that choice to either do something good, something bad, or something maybe indifferent that day. But no matter what, it's the choice that you decided to make that day. And if you have made the wrong choice, hopefully you have someone on your side to not only help you, but to guide you and tell you, listen, that was a big mistake. And let me see what I can do for you as far as get you off. Now, you know, you were talking about from, you know, something minor to something major. If you unfortunately killed someone and it was a malintent, then that's a whole different story. But if it's something that you have done that, that could have been just 
a minor misdemeanor, I guess I would say, where you're able to help someone along the way and they can remember you for many years, that speaks volumes. And to me, that's it's more and more of what's needed today. We need people to be more compassionate today. We know that we're going through a lot. 2020 was a huge year that we never saw coming. 21, it, it's okay. It's not the best. It's not where we need to be. But there's still a lot of more changes that need to come into place. And hopefully, again, that change comes with you on May 18th. I'm going to introduce here Ryan Neff. And I know, Ryan, here, uh, you're in the background. Ryan, I don't know if you had a question for uh, Mr. Neff. And this is our national correspondent. Now he's he's out of one of our bars tonight because it is draft night. So, Ryan, if you want to introduce yourself. Hello, Mr. Vega. How you doing? Okay. You can call me Carlos. Nice to meet you. Okay. Okay, Carlos. Uh, I'm a little late to the party here. Sorry I'm a little bit late. But I guess the one question I had um, – why do you think that the crime rate in Philly just continues to be a problem and certain sections of Philadelphia continue to be a problem? I've never understood it. I always thought Philadelphia would be on the rebound at some point. But every time you watch the news or you see anything, there's just certain sections of Philly that the crime rate just always seems to be high. Well, it's, it's a double-edged sword. And that's why when I'm when I'm running, I say we need uh, safety and reform. Now there are certain crimes that are committed by people that are good people, but they're addicted to drugs, mental health issues, homelessness issues. And we could address that not by putting those people in jail, but to giving them an opportunity. There are diversion programs that you could do pre-arrest to give them a chance to get them that drug counseling, inpatient, outpatient, get social workers involved. And what has happened in this last administration is those some of those programs were dismantled or they're not being or they're being underutilized. We need to put those people in those programs because it reduces crime. And I mean, nonviolent crime like retail theft, prostitution, burglaries, breaking in. Those are people that are doing bad things, not violent, but that need help. They're not bad people. They are suffering from an addiction or mental health illness. I want to put them in the programs that are needed. With respect to violent crime, uh, we see under this administration, and I, I was talking to people earlier, the prior commissioner, Ross, and the current commissioner, Commissioner Outlaw, have been begging for the DA's office to work with them. There is a revolving door, uh, and there are consequences. And the, the criminal element, and it's only a small group that perpetrate the violence, know that there are no consequences. I'm going to use a stat that will shock you. As of January 1st to, this, uh, to March 31st, there were 233 illegal gun arrests. Those cases were approved by the DA's office with sufficient evidence. Yet he chose to, to dismiss 152 of those cases. That's 152 people who committed a crime, had an illegal gun, and there was no consequence. So that's why crime is occurring. And when you say in certain neighborhoods, before it was in certain neighborhoods, uh, that had poverty, drug dealing, and no opportunity, but running for office now, I am going to affluent areas where people are paying almost a million dollars for their homes, and they are afraid now. In one place, you may not know, Chestnut Hill, they have a police car in front of the TV bank because of the number of bank robberies they had. They are afraid. I've met group last week and, and the week before, people who had voted for Krasner, who says, we're voting for you, Carlos. We are afraid. So it's an explosion in the city. And what I marvel at is this. The city was doing so well. I came in 82. We were getting skyscrapers, restaurants. We were like New York. And it's sad that 
it takes so long to build something, but if uh, in four short years, you were able to destroy the city. I mean, this city is hurting with the violence, the businesses leaving. And so many people have said, if you don't win this election, I'm leaving Philadelphia. And when they leave, business is going to suffer, business is going to leave, and it's going to create poverty. So I have to win this race. And it's all kinds of people. You know, some might say they're liberal. Some might say they're, they're uh, conservative. But you know what? They are joining together saying this. We are Philadelphia, and it's about our future. So that's what's interesting that they're, it's a grassroots campaign of people putting their political alliances aside and saying, we have to save our city. No, you're absolutely, whoops, hold on. Another question real, can I just ask a follow-up question real quick? Sure, go ahead. Another question for you. Seeing that the social unrest in the country is so prevalent now, especially within like the last year, and you see it all over now, you know, we're not born racists. We're not born bigots. We're not born anything. We're, we're just, we come out of the womb and we're just this little teeny thing. And, you know, I'm 52 years old and I lived in the South for a while. And I, I, I try to tell people all the time, you know, generation after generation, it is taught from the time they're young. And the problem for me always seems to be education about what's right, what's wrong, about just because someone's of a different race or a different color, it doesn't mean they're better than you, doesn't mean anything. It just, what do you think needs to be done in that aspect so there seems to be less and less of it? Because as far as I'm concerned, you know, we might be able to manage it, but we're, we're never going to get rid of it, to be quite honest with you. Well, my answer to that is, and I'll quote Denzel Washington, to, who went to Fordham University like I did. You can't legislate people to to stop hating or racism, right. okay? The government can't do that. It's people talking. As my mother taught me is this, life is unfair, you're gonna meet people that don't like you. But if you treat people with respect and dignity, it starts a conversation. I'll use an example when I was a young DA, I, you know, I was from New York and I must have mispronounced a word that Philadelphians use. I remember the judge goes, well, I guess we better get an interpreter. I sat down. And the judge waited. He goes, aren't you going to ask another question? I said, no, judge, I'm waiting for an interpreter. Everybody in the courtroom started laughing. The judge laughed and, and he became my friend. I mean, because he said, OK, uh, you know, I'm going to test them. And I gave it back. So you have to realize uh, people are people. And I'm going to say this, the three things everyone wants, whether you're black, white, uh, rich or poor, you want to be safe, you want to be loved, and you want your children to have a better life. Now use this example. I'm doing this. Uh, this podcast from my car. I just left an Irish bar with all Irish people. And I said, only in America can a Puerto Rican be in an Irish bar where you all love me. And it goes to show you, you know, people, of course, there are some racist people. Absolutely. But by and large, people are people. And when you get to talk, you realize he's not any different than me. And, you know, and they were laughing when I said, you know, only, you know, in America, can you do that. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that we just have to teach our kids to respect each other. And it starts with the family. And also, I believe people need a sense of religion. I went to Catholic school. My children did also. And doing murder cases, I've seen some people like punching the wall and frustrated because they have no one to talk to. Like saying, you know, in the darkest of night, you say, Jesus, what am I going to do? Now, he doesn't answer you, but it's someone you can talk to and say, I'm in trouble. 
And then you realize there is another day and you overcome what you're afraid of. Uh, and I, I think, and, and it's hard because we have the public schools and you can't teach religion. But I think the family needs to teach, number one, respect. Respect of your elders and also have some sense of God. You know, whether you're Muslim, Catholic, Jewish, have a sense of religion because all religions teach respect and love. So I think that that's very important. And I, I think we need in the schools to talk to our children and tell them you're special, you're better than that. And I think, and I hate the everyone gets a partition trophy. I mm -hmm. think people need to compete, uh, learn how to lose, learn to lose with grace, and also learn to win and not, you know, show off. Uh, because it minimizes when you hustle, when everybody gets a trophy. I've lost, you know, and I played baseball. And there were times that we took second place or we really sucked. And, you know, you try harder. You know, you're angry. You're going gonna, gonna to do better. But life is, uh, you know, sports is a learning lesson from life. That there are going to be times that you fall and you got to get up. And that's what, you know, the man I am is because of my mother. Because she always said, you know, life is unfair. Get over it. Get up and fight. And, you know, and that's what I've been doing and running for this race, talking to an entire city. I have that energy to fight because I'm fighting for people who don't know me, for children who, if I lose, may die. And that's why I'm doing this fight, because it's about a father, a single father who loves this city. And I want to make it great again. And, and you're absolutely right, because it, it's funny that you mentioned you came from an Irish bar. So my former work partner, uh, Donna Septa. Marcio, we so we both resided around Fourth and Snyder, and there's an Irish bar about two blocks away. It's either on Second and Snyder, if I remember correctly. But I would say the same thing when I walked in there for the first time because you know I walked in, it was like one of those movie moments where the music stopped. I'm like, hey, I'm one of you tonight, aren't I? And it, you know they just kind of laughed. I'm like, hey, you know, come in. But it's true, it's the bond that you build with the people. I mean, you're talking about a Brazilian. In a Puerto Rican, you're going into a, uh, an Irish bar. The funniest thing ever, but we made the best of friends down there. And that's what it is. The city has such a mix of people. No matter which way you look at it, whether it's white, Asian, black, Native American. And then you have the influx of people that are moving in from New York because they're trying to get away from such a high crime in New York, the high rates of uh, real estate in New York, and then coming down to the city and falling absolutely in love with it. So you have all these different businesses, like you mentioned earlier, and now you're, there's a more of an influx coming in, but at the same time, you don't want to lose all these different towns like Northern Liberties that has come back from, I mean, the seventies when you used to walk around, it was the most beautiful thing. Then it went through its time. Now it went through a whole gentrification period and it's starting to grow back and it's trying to push further into the city, going up to North Philly, going up to the Northeast. So the city is trying to rebuild, but we do need the right people in the place. And, and the interesting thing you talked about earlier as well about how people feel I want to bring up a clip here about U.S. Attorney William McSwain. And it's just so people don't think this is anything one-sided. It's to hear his view on what he believes that Larry Krasner is not doing and feeling. So I'm going to bring that up just so everybody can see in here uh, before we move on to the next segment here. So let me bring up this audio so everyone can hear. It. And it's going to start out with a smaller window for everyone to see. And then I'll make the window enlarged here. Good afternoon, I'm U.S. Attorney Bill McSwain. Thank you for being here this afternoon. I am joined by the special agent in charge of the ATF, Don Robinson, and the assistant special agent in charge of the FBI, Tarek McMahon. I'm gonna say a few words myself, share some remarks, and then I'm gonna turn it over to Mr. Robinson, say a few words. 
And after that, all three of us would be happy to answer any questions that you might have. What I witnessed last night was true heroism by the Philadelphia police. But this crisis was precipitated by a stunning disrespect for law enforcement. A disrespect that is so flagrant and so reckless that the suspect immediately opened fire on every single officer within shooting distance. And only by the grace of God did they survive. So my question is, where does such disrespect in this city come from? There is a new culture of disrespect for law enforcement in this city that unfortunately is promoted and is championed by District Attorney Larry Krasner. And I am fed up with it. It started with chance at the District Attorney's victory party. Chance of F the police and no good cops in a racist system. And now we've endured over a year and a half of the worst kind of slander against law enforcement with the DA routinely calling police and prosecutors corrupt and racist, and most recently even referring to them as war criminals and comparing them to Nazis. This vile rhetoric puts our police in danger. It disgraces the office of the district attorney and it harms the good people of this city and it rewards the wicked. The alleged shooter from last night, Maurice Hill, is a previously convicted felon with a long rap sheet. We have plenty of criminal laws in this city, but what we don't have is robust law enforcement by the district attorney. So I wanted to play that there, just kind of bring to, to attention to people here where you're looking at, once again, of uh, Larry Krasner and what he hasn't done within the city. And you're talking about now the U.S. attorney that's also fed up with what's going on. And, and Danielle Outlaw, the police commissioner from Philadelphia, where she's getting fed up as well. So, again, we look back at the things that aren't being done, Carlos, and we're hoping that, again, when as you come in, and we hope everyone again, May 18th, I want everyone in Philadelphia to go out there and vote. Carlos Vega for district attorney, the changes that need to be done, because we see when, when obviously things do happen, we've seen the, the killing of, of black Americans, you know, white Americans, you name it, we've seen the killings, we've seen the riots and the protests to follow behind it. We know that a lot of times it starts peaceful and then it pretty much goes completely out of whack, I guess to put it in the most polite terms, but there's times where there's no accountability. If you're going to go out there, you're going to do the crime. To me, it's, you have to do the time. If you're doing a peaceful protest, by all means, do it. <clears throat> Just don't, you know, block up roadways. Don't block up traffic. Don't jump on, you know, the Ben Franklin Parkway and just hold everybody up. But we need someone to come in there and show the changes, show the police department that there are going to be accountability for those who, who choose not to be accountable for it. So with what William McSwain was saying there, it, it's nothing that's not new in this city. I think people, just like he just said just now, are fed up. And, and I know Mike Sherman probably has a question as well. I'm going to turn it over to him. But I'm hoping, again, Carlos, that you are that voice 
that people need to hear to make that change, to make Philadelphia so much better because the Badlands are horrible. And we've seen Netflix specials between the drugs, the paraphernalia, these poor girls that, I mean, they look healthy, you know, a week going into the Badlands. And then two weeks later, I mean, it, you know, I'll just say they're like cracky jackies. I mean, they're, they're ultra thin. It's ridiculous. And then the kids, as we've been talking about here throughout the night, the kids in these neighborhoods see all this happening. And then you're supposed to be the parent to tell a child, please do not do what you see out there in the streets. Listen to mom and dad. Even if you come from a broken family, listen to either or parent and make and be that guidance that they need so they can turn out to be someone just like you, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's a policeman, because we're losing policemen by the numbers. I think Philadelphia right now, if I remember correctly, they're down 268 police officers and they're still losing more. So then what's going to be the incentive of a police department saying, okay, we understand that these citizens are frustrated, but the minute something happens, they want to get rid of that police officer. You know, let's not go to trial. Let's not go to jury. Let's not do anything whatsoever. We just want that police officer done even before there's kind of any investigation whatsoever. Thankfully in Philly, it's not as bad as other cities when it comes to that, but you know, they're not, uh, what's the word you said? They're not in the clear either. We know that there's been problems. We know that Danielle Outlaw came in with a lot of issues when she came in from Oregon and she's trying her best to do what she can for the city. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm just hoping that you are that voice of the people to make them understand that we are going to make change in Philadelphia. So Michael Sherman, I'm going to turn over to you before, uh, before we ask one more question, because I know uh, Carlos has to go tonight. Great. Carlos. So earlier in the program, you talked about a problem of well over 100 gun charges that were dropped. And in your opinion, that seems like a problem. And as a teacher in the school district of Philadelphia, I always like to focus on solutions. So if you could just talk to us for a few brief moments and everyone who's watching the program right now, if you could speak a little bit about your solutions to some of the problems that are going on in our city. We have an alarming murder rate. As we spoke before the show came on live, there are teens who are losing their lives. And as a high school teacher, that just is absolutely brutal. And it sickens me to my stomach every night I turn on the news and see that. Can you talk a little bit about your solution platform of what you would do if you were elected into this position? Well, as I said, I believe in, in safety and reform. And there are programs we need to uh, address those issues of drug addiction. But tackling the, the issue of violence, I would have a two-pronged attack or solution to that problem. Number one is bringing a robust focused deterrence program. It's a program that when Krasner took over, he got rid of. That program, what it does is it brings in me as the DA, making allies and joining forces with the federal government, federal agencies, FBI, DEA, ATF and also uh, state agencies, the attorney general's office. All those law enforcement agencies then do an investigation because from the studies, it shows that neighborhoods are being ravaged by a small group of people. You investigate those individuals, you know who they are, what they do, where they frequent. Then you bring in community leaders, church leaders, social workers, and business people. And then you do what's called what you call calling sessions. You bring in those people from those gangs or organizations, and you say the police tell them, "We know who you are. We know what you're doing. You know what we know what you've done. We're going to get an alternative. You're going to have social workers dealing with issues of mental health or drug addiction. We're going to give you job opportunities. We're going to do all the services. So we're asking you to put the the guns down yourself, okay? 
Because if you don't and you commit a crime, we know who you are and we're going to prosecute you. We're going after you. At which point they have a choice. The second part of that problem or, or the solution is this. A tackle the problem with seasoned prosecutors, given the resources to investigate the cases, take it to court and be successful in court in securing a conviction. So it's it's a tough solution, but it's a solution that works. We've done it in other parts of Philadelphia, but it was taken away. But focus deterrence and then prosecuting those guns appropriately, because those uh, cases that we're going to do are murder, shootings, carjackings felons possessing illegal guns. And I'll use a stat that I said to you earlier when we were speaking. As of from January 1st to March 31st, there were 233 gun arrests. He withdrew 152 of those cases. Now he blames the judges and the police. But I'm going to tell you right now, before he took office, we had the same judges, the same police. The only thing that is different is him, the office he's created, and a level of incompetence in that office. There are several examples of people who have been killed because the DA's office has dropped the ball. One would be, and I think you know about it, the young man walking his dog. Uh, the person who killed him had done a robbery, was allowed to remain on the street, did another robbery, allowed to remain on the street, then did a carjacking, then attacked the prison guard. And what did the DA's office do? When the bail was reduced, they didn't even appeal it or argue forcefully, at which point that man who complied fully in the robbery was shot and killed. So focus deterrence and uh, addressing murder, shootings, carjacks, and illegal guns. Because as outlaw says, we need consequences. We can't have that revolving door. And we have to work with the community, with law enforcement in general. No, that's true. And I want to show that that quick clip where you just brought up with police commissioner. It, it's about 20 seconds long. You can just hear the level of frustration where it's getting down to the commissioner. So here's Danielle Outlaw, the Philadelphia police commissioner. You know, I look, the DA is the DA. You guys keep trying to get me to speak for the DA. The data is what the data is. I put the data out. We make the VUFO arrest. The conviction rates are going down. The trend lines are going up as far as the guns that we're getting off the street and the VUFO arrest that we're making. I've been asking for more and more consequences. We would like to see it. And if this, I don't care who does it, it needs to get done. Right, people are dying. I mean, it, it, you can't make much more of a blanket statement than that. And it, listen, we all hope that Philadelphia, at one point or another, will get better. We know it can get better. And again, for everyone watching tonight, if case you guys don't know where to find Carlos Vega, well, it's not that hard because there are a couple places you can find them. Of course, you can find them right on the World Wide Web, which is Twitter, along with every other social media, Instagram, Facebook. If you look on Twitter, it is vote for Vega for district attorney. Again, May 18th. I follow him as I stated earlier. Even if I am Republican, to me, it doesn't matter that he's a Democratic candidate because I want the right person in that office. And in case you guys have not visited his website, again, you can go Vega4DA.com. That's Vega4DA.com. If you guys can donate, please donate. Meet Carlos, look at the priorities, and check out the latest news. And, and again, we thank, let me bring the screen back up here with everyone else. Carlos, we thank you so much for joining us tonight. We know you have a very busy schedule. We know you have somewhere else to go this evening. So we do appreciate you coming on. And uh, listen, again, everyone, May 18th, please vote for Carlos Vega, Philadelphia District Attorney. So, uh, Carlos, I don't know if you have any last words here before we sign off. Well, the last words I have is thank you so much for having me, giving me a voice, letting people know who I am, and realize that we can bring reform and safety together. But we have to learn to be humble. 
be respectful and work with others. I believe in bringing the community together to talk to the police because everybody wants to be treated with respect and dignity. And I think we can bring about change, responsible change. So I want you to know that this is an important day. It's a fight for our city, a fight for our future, and a fight for our children. So it's very important. It's a low turnout election, and I need your help. I've been served the community for 35 years. I fought for you then, and I'll fight for you now. Thank you. We appreciate it. Ryan, I'm sorry I've muted out your mic because of the voice back there, but maybe you have a last word for Mr. Vega? I couldn't hear you. It's kind of loud here, boss. All right. No, I just wanted to see if you want to say a, a quick goodbye there to Carlos. I know it's kind of tough to hear because of the bar. Hey, Carlos, thanks so much for coming on. I just, it's like you said, communication is the key. People just need to talk about stuff. Everybody has a backstory. Everybody's not all bad. You know, and we just, communication is a lost start. And I'm glad you brought that up because we had a discussion on a certain subject a couple of weeks ago. And if people would just communicate like they used to, put down the phones and just communicate face to face. Absolutely. Okay. Again, thank you. Uh, Carlos, hang on for one minute. For everyone else, we will catch you right after this show, 9 o'clock. Of course, the Eagles draft night tonight, along with the rest of the NFL here in 2021. Uh, and I, I don't know, Carlos, you, do, is there someone in particular you would like to see that the Eagles maybe end up picking up, whether it's a wide receiver and or a quarterback here in the first round? I can't say anything because it'll get me into trouble. Okay, I'm running for office. <laughs> There's no right answer I can give. <laughs> That's right. That's okay. That's no problem. So everyone else, we'll see you right after uh, this show. So thank you for watching. Again, remember, May 18th, vote Carlos Vega for district attorney. Everyone else, we will see you in a little bit. <laughs>